Today's shiur is Soito Daflamed Dalid. Please take note that today's shiur begins three lines from the bottom of Daflamed Gimel Omid Beis. At the uh, end of our previous shiur, we mentioned that we would be involved with a sugya that started uh, several lines from the end of our daf uh, until daf lamed dalimibes concerning the Jewish people in the time of Yoshua crossing the Yardane River, the Jordan River, which actually split. And we continue in that theme, three lines from the bottom, with a Tanaic source that you'll notice is actually very long. It, this source will continue down practically all of daf lamed dalid. Omid Aleph. Not only that, but we should point out this source is comes from the Toisefta that we uh, saw in our previous year, Perik Ches. And the Perik Ches Toisefta uh, will be quoted uh, continuously uh, throughout the Gemara on, we'll say, Daf Lamed Dalit, today's shir, and then when we get to Daf Lamed Hey, you will notice it, the, uh, uh, the same brysa is quoted uh, further there on Lamed Hay Omid Aleph and on Lamed Hay Omid Beis as well. So we continue in the text now. Three lines from the bottom of Daf Lamed Gimel Omid Beis, Tanya. In three uh, places, on three occasions, instead of the regular people charged with the carrying of the Oron, which contained the Ten Commandments. Generally, it was carried by the Levium from the Kahos branch of Shevet Levi. And on three occasions, the Kohanim took over. Technically speaking, the Kohanim were also from Kahos, but they're a more specific, let's uh, say, uh, subdivision of the tribe. What are the three occasions? Kishavru was a Yardain, when they crossed the Yardin with Yehoshua, at that point the the Kohanim carried the Oron, and Kishesevu es Yericho, when they surrounded Yericho also uh, at the time of Yehoshua, and Kishechziru lemekoymoi. This is a reference to the time of Shlomo HaMelech, who built the base Hamikdash for a number of years uh, after the destruction of the Mishkan. Uh, in the time of Eli HaKohen, the Mishkan there had stood for 369 years. After that destruction, the Oron was in different locations, and at the point that it was brought to the newly erected Beis HaMikdash in the time of Shlomo Melech, the Kohanim carried the Oron to the Kodesh HaKodashim. We continue at the top of the Lamed Dalet Omet Aleph. The Kevon Shinitbalu Ragle Kohanim Bamayim we're now referring to the uh, crossing of the Yardane in the time of Yoshua. As soon as the feet of the Kohen uh, were, were is submerged in the water, uh, and they were on the eastern bank of the Jordan River, they're moving from east to west. They're crossing into Eretz Yisrael from what we call Transjordan. So they were going from east to west. As soon as the legs of the Kohanim, the feet of the Kohanim, uh, touched the water, so to speak, they were dipped in the water on the eastern bank, the Jordan River, instead of continuous flow, it stopped flowing at that point, and 
the water that was running downstream, of course, just kept running downstream. And the water that was coming from upstream till that point stopped. And it actually started to flow up in the air, anti-gravity. That's what's meant over here, Chazru Hamayim Lachoreim. Literally, the water backed up, but we'll, we'll see later that it means that it, instead of flowing downstream, it started to flow up into the air. Shinemar, Uchavoy Noise Ha'oron Ad Hayardain, Vayamdu Hamayim Hayordim Milamalo, Komu Neid Echod. And as the uh, Nose Oron, the ones who were carrying the Oron, reached the Yardain, so the water stopped its regular flow and stood Neid Echod. Neid is a wall. It formed a wall, meaning it flowed upwards. The Kama Goivin Shomayim, and how high did the water reach? And on the side of our Gemara, we have as our topic heading, the Kriyas Yardain. Uh, under the Nosei topic heading, and we have points one and two are Shtei Shitois Be'inyan Goivan Shel Mei Hayardain Bishash Avru Yisrael. That's what we've written on the side. These numbers one and two represent the two opinions how high did the water reach? And that's what is being asked in the source. Kama Goivan. Goivan means height. Kama Govan, how high did the water reach? So you see number one, Shnei Sermil, and then later there's a number two. Yeser Mishloish Meois Meal. One says 12 meal, and the other opinion says 300 meal. Meal is about a kilometer. So the first opinion says that the water, it stopped flowing downstream, and what happened? It reached the height of Shneim Osir Meal, Al Shneim Osir Meal. It formed a type of wall measuring uh, 12 meal uh, by 12 meal, and that dimension. Keneged Machne Yisrael is the same dimension, the same size as the Jewish camp, Divrei Rebbe Yehuda. Uh, the thinking is, is that the entire camp, uh, the entire Jewish people, which measured 12 meal by 12 meal, would cross the Arden uh, in the meantime while the water is not flowing down, and as soon as they would finish crossing, the water would then resume its normal flow. Omar, and that's uh, Rabbi Yudah's opinion, Omar lo Rebbe Lozer Rabbi Shimon, Lidvorecha, according to your approach, Odom Kal o Mayim Kalim, Kal in this case means swift or fast, which flows faster. Uh, Mayim Kalim, does water flow faster, or does man walk faster? If you had a, a let's say a, uh, a race between uh, the flow of water and a man walking. So, heavy Omer, Mayim Kalim. Water, of course, flows faster than a man walks. And in Cain, if that's the case, if you say the water simply reached the height of 12 meal and then that's it, it started to resume its flow after reaching that height, then Boyan, Mayim Vashofenosan. The Jewish people would still be in the, uh, the, the river's channel. Uh, when the water would resume its flow and it would come in then and, and drown them. Elo, so Rebbe Loza Reb Shimon comes up with his approach. Melamed Shehoyu Mayim Nigdashin Fa'ulin Kifin Al Gabi Kifin The water piled up, uh, piles upon piles. A cave, Kif is like an arch. Uh, arches and arches of water uh, rising higher and higher. Yeser Mishlosh Meos Meal. More than 300 meal into the air. Ad shiro oisun kol malche mizrach umaravet. Reaching a height like that, so nations from, to all the nations to, to the east and to the west, 
saw it. Shinemar, the Posuk says in Yoshua Parake, Posuk Aleph, Vaikishmoa, Komalchi Hamuria Shebeva Hayardain, Yama, all the Emorite kings that were west of the Jordan, Vahomalchi Aknanisha Al Hayam, Es Asher Hoivish Hashem, Esme Hayardain, Mibne Israel, Ad of Rom, the uh, Canaanite kings also uh, heard about the almighty Hovishes from what Yavesh dried out the waters of the Jordan uh, in, because of the Jewish people and the water remained the, uh, the riverbed remained dry Ad of Ram until they, the Jewish people crossed and they uh, suffered feelings of despair. They had no more spirit uh, to uh, to war uh, against the Jewish people. So the Posuk indicates that nations far away from that actual site were able to see the water, indicating that it reached a much, much more than 12 mil in uh, height. V'af Rochav Hazoyna Omro L'Shluchi Yoshua Rochav was the uh, woman who hosted, who hid the two uh, spies that Yoshua had sent to scout out the land before they crossed. So she, her name is Rochav Hazona. Zona is, a, is an expression that the Meforshim have different takes on it. The standard use of the word Zona has to do with harlotry. Another approach is she was an innkeeper, and the word Zona from the word Mizona, she fed her guests. So Rochav the Zona. Uh, said to the Shluche Yeshua, to the emissary sent by Yeshua, Ki Shamanu es Shehoivish Hashem es Mei Yamsuf v'chulei. We heard uh, about the Almighty's drying out the uh, sea in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu when the Jews crossed the Yamsuf. Uksiv anishma v'imas levaveinu v'lo koma oid v'chulei. And she too expressed this feeling of of despair, hearing that how the Almighty changes uh, the laws of nature. The Almighty, of course, controls the laws of nature, and He's, for the sake of His people, is willing to change them. Let's note what Rashi says: the Af Rochav Omro Rochav was speaking to these emissaries before the the Jordan itself had split. They were still fear-struck over the fact that here you have a people for whom God changes the laws of nature, and they were still trying to deal with that enormity uh, even before the Jordan River uh, split. Uh, just par- parenthetically, the, uh, we, I'm using the word split out of convenience, but uh, the, the splitting of the sea in the time of Moshe and what happened at the Jordan, uh, they operated a bit differently. One simple reason might be that in the case of Moshe Rabbeinu dealing with the sea, where the water isn't necessarily flowing in the same way that a river flows. And so in the case of the Jordan River, the water that was flowing downstream just flowed, kept flowing downstream, and that which was coming upstream stopped. And, and hence you have this description of it piling up in the air. Let's continue in our Gomorrah text after learning about the nations of the world being aware of God's uh, control over nature as was witnessed in the Kriyas Yamsuf 
and then subsequently in the with regard to the Jordan River. There's a double underline marking that is explained on the side under the Nosei slash Mivne heading. That's the phrase that you see highlighted while the Jewish people were still in the yarding, in the water, in the channel of the river, which at this point would have become dry. Uh, These are different commands that Yoshua issues when they are still in the uh, river channel. The Gomorrah. While they were still in the Yarden, in the Jordan River, he said to the people, You should let it be known, uh, uh, be, be aware of why uh, we are crossing the Jordan. In order for us to take over the land, to literally to inherit the land from those that are its current dwellers. You are expected to take over the land from all those that are currently dwelling there. If you do thusly, if you vanquish the inhabitants and take over the land, then that's good. The Imlav, if you're going to be some kind of a peace lover, it's good to love peace, by the way, but not in this context. In this context, with regard to the conquering of the land of Israel, there are specific divine instructions to eliminate the local population. And if therefore, if you don't take over the land, the water will come and drown us. By Osichem, you would think that the what Yoshua is saying that if you don't cooperate, so the water will drown you. That you would have said Eschem. What is Osichem? The, the, the strange spelling, the addition of the Yud. The Osichem means Osi veEschem, myself included. I, along with you, will all be drowned. While they were still in the Jordan, Yoshua said, "Harimu lochem ish even achas al shichmo lemispar shivte Yisrael." The mispar means the number of the tribes. That's the twelve tribes. So he's ordering twelve stones. Harimu is to pick up harimu lochem of each man one stone up till the number of the tribes. That'd be twelve people will be each one picking up a stone. Uksiv, and in Posuk Vov it says, The stones will be then uh, set up as a monument for future generations to that when they ask, what are these stones? What is their significance to you? You will uh, tell them simin lebonim. It's a sign to the future generation sheovru avos es hayardin that the uh, forebearers, this generation of Yoshua, crossed the Yardin. So it's a, a monument, a testimony to this miraculous event. Oidom biyardin, Omar lohem Yoshua. While they were still in the Jordan, he said sulochem mizem mitoch hayardin mimatzav ragli akayanim ochein shtei mesreavonim. Uh, here in Posse Gimel, there's a, a reference made to another set of 12 stones. These are different stones that Yoshua ordered to be picked up from the, uh, from the river, from where the Kohanim were standing. 
Shtemesri Avonim, we said 12 stones. Vavartem oisom imochem, you will carry them with you. Vinachtem oisom b'molonishetolinu bohalaylo, b'kulei. And they will be taken to the place that they will encamp that night. These stones, as we indicated, are different than the stones mentioned before. Uh, the stones mentioned before are stones that are, are, were to be erected there in the river as a monument to their crossing. These stones are those that will be carried to Har Grisim and Har Evol, and that very same night would then be brought to Gilgal, and we'll see more about what their purpose was. The instruction involved uh, take them to the Malon Ashitalinu Bohalaila, Yocho Bechol Malonu Malon. Does it mean that they are to carry the stones with them wherever they encamp? No, that one night they're, car- they're going to carry the stones and then put them down in the encampment of that night. Before we go further, let's note Rashi and what we're saying now will have, um, let's say, significance for uh, Gemorus we will see later on. Uh, there's Rashi, Harimu Lochem. Rashi that I'm looking at is about halfway down the page. Harimu Lochem. And that's a reference to the stones mentioned in Posuk Hey. Heim Avonim Shekimu Tachas Matzav Shavru These are the stones that in Posuk Tes you see them setting up the monument as a testimony for future generations that this generation crossed the Yarden. Next Rashi Su Mizeh Mitocha Yarden Mimatzav the posuk that was quoted in the Gemara text at this point was posuk Gimel, uh, as opposed to the posuk of Harimu Lechem, which was posuk Hey. Here we have posuk Gimel uh, with the uh, a reference made to stones. Heim Shikimu Bahar Eval Ubanu Hamizbeach Vikiplum Vikovum Begilgal. These are the stones that they carried with them to Har Eval. We uh, spoke about Har Egrizim and Har Eval in our previous Shiurim. And they set up a, an altar there with these stones, and then they folded them up, so to speak, and they carried them to Gilgal, which was their first, uh, their place, their initial place of encampment. Now, let's continue uh, in the Gemara. Regarding these stones, we're gonna, the Gemara spends a little time on uh, their size. Omar Rebbe Yossi, Abba Chalafto, Rebbe ben Masio, Vechanani ben Chachinoi, Rabbi Yossi was a later Tana, uh, uh, speaks about an, uh, an earlier generation, could be his own father's generation. Abu Chalafta is a reference to Rabbi Yossi's own father, quite possibly, and two others, Rabbi Yossi ben Masya and Hananiah ben Chachinoi, Omdu al Oisim They stood by those stones. They were still aware of the stones. Vashi uh, Arum, and they calculated, Kol Achas Vachas Shkula Karboim Saw. They calculated that each stone weighed 40 saw. However, that translates into uh, whatever it translates into metric terms, that is a separate story, but it's a measure 40 saw. Ugimiri, and we have a tradition to Teruna de Magli Inish the Kasfe, Tilsa de Teune Havi. The tradition is, is that the weight that a person can carry when he picks up something by himself onto his shoulder is one-third the amount that a person can pick up 
when being assisted by someone else. So the calculation here is certainly not one plus one equals two, but rather the once again the amount that you when you pick something up by yourself and put it on your shoulder, you should know that you with the assistance of someone else you could pick up something off the ground three times that weight. Now that information uh, has bearing on what you see in the continuation of this source. We have a brackets that we've put into our Mark de Mars. The brackets here are not for skipping purposes, but we have a note on the side. So Graham Elu Enom Lushem Diluk, Ella Hosafnu Oisam Al Pirashi Likamandaf Lamed Hamad Aleph, Dimasa Vikivan Sha'ala Ayan Sham. Rashi later on Daf Lamid Hey Omid Aleph where this Tanaic source picks up from the point that we just learned concerning the weight of the stones, and at that point in the Gemara, on Daflamid Hayom and Aleph, the source will continue with the crossing of the Yardane. However, there's an interruption in the logical flow, and that's what we have over here. Mikan, we, let's continue reading in the Gemara. Mikan ato mechashev la eshkoil. From this, you can then calculate the size and weight of the cluster of grapes that the spies sent by Moshe Rabbeinu had taken back with them from their scouting of the land back to Moshe Rabbeinu uh, to show what the land is capable of producing. So how much, how big was the Eshkol? So the Pesach says, Shinemar, regarding that cluster, says, Vayisauhu bemot Bishnayim. Mot is a pole. So the pole, the, the Pusik says, and they carried it on a, on a, uh, using a pole with two. Now, if dealing with something carried on a moat, a moat, let's just make the assumption is a very long pole. It's not something that a person ever carries by himself. It's something that you need to have two people carrying. So, ma tamad lomar bishnayim. So, wouldn't it have been enough for the pasuk to say, "Vayasauhu bemot"? If the point is is that something was carried on a with with two people were carrying it, just say "Vayasu bemot." The moat, by definition, requires two people. Why does the pasuk add the word bishnayim? The answer to that is bishnei motos. The cluster of grape of grapes was supported on two. Poles. The Bishnayim is not a reference to the number of people. It's a reference to the number of poles. Amar of Yitzhak, Turtani, Viturtani, Viturtani. And it wasn't just two poles, and that's it. The Rashi explains the term Turtani, Turtani, Masui, Umasui, Tachas Masui. And we'll explain that as we go on in the Gemara. A Masui is a, is a, is a burden, something that's being carried. So Rabbi Yitzhak says it was a burden within a burden. Ha Ketzad. How how are we to explain this? Shmoina Nosu Eshkol. There were eight people involved in the carrying of the Eshkol. There happens to be a, a different portion, uh, a, a different explanations in how this took place, what the setup was. We're providing one of the different explanations based on uh, our reading of Rashi over here. There were two. Uh, parallel poles. Now, each pole requires two people. And ultimately, the cluster of grapes is, is attached to this arrangement. So you had two parallel poles, and 
That means you have four people involved with two parallel poles. But in addition to that, from one pole to the next, there was another diagonal pole. And an additional diagonal pole. So you have a type of, if you're looking at this from the air, you can imagine you have two parallel poles and an X in between. And those, each one of the parallel poles, another two people per pole. You have a total here of four poles, and then hence eight people. And that teaches us, okay, so the, or the, or I should say the result is that was Shmoyna Nosu Eshkol, eight carried the cluster of grapes, Echod Nosu Rimon, there were twelve spies that were sent. Uh, so eight are accounted for in carrying the cluster of grapes. One carried the rimon. Rimon is a type of fruit, often translated as a pomegranate. And the echod nosotainon, one carried a fig. That is a total of ten people carrying fruits. Yoshua and Kolev, they did not carry anything. They were aware that this was all part of a scheme to say, to speak evil of the land of Israel, and they would have no part in it. If we take a look in Rashi, uh, to show you where we got our explanation from, Rashi, Omer, Bisot, Turtani, Viturtani, the Turtani, Masui, Umasui, Tachas Masui, Shatachtoinim, Messiahim, Esuel, Yoinim. The lower ones helped the upper ones. And in each Masui, there were two poles. So, Ketzad, how is this to be, what's the configuration? Two poles walking one next to the other. As we explained before, two parallel poles. For two poles, you'd have four people. at One person at the end of each pole. And then two more poles. And those two additional poles were positioned in a diagonal. Indicating a, uh, a crisscross type thing. The end of one pole touching uh, of one diagonal pole touching the ends, the extremes of one of the parallel poles, and likewise with the other. And they walked that way in the diagonal. And my understanding is is that the cluster of grapes uh, was um, attached to, just for let's say exa- for for uh, illustration purposes, we'll say the cluster of grapes was attached to the two parallel poles. And the diagonal poles were positioned underneath the parallel poles, offering additional structural support uh, to this whole configuration. Rashi adds, Rabbi Yitzhak lav wasn't coming to his conclusion of this configuration, having eight people with the four poles set up the way it was from the scripture. Be, from the scripture itself, we said we accounted for two poles, but Rabbi Yitzhak accounts for a total of four poles. El rather to him it was obvious the Rimo Sagi Bishnayim, the the Rimon fruit and the Taino fruit. Each one of those, one person would be enough. So together, two people took care of them. The Yeshua Kolev Lo Nasuklum. The Yeshua and Kolev didn't didn't carry anything because they knew that this was all part of an evil scheme. 
That would leave a balance of eight people for the third fruit that the Torah mentions, namely the cluster of grapes. Let's turn back to the Gemara. Before we uh, continue in the Gemara itself, uh, we're, we're going to encounter diamonds shortly. Uh, and under the Mivneh heading that you see at the lower part of the margin, We'll see the Machlokas Tanoim, uh, I say Machlokas and within the Machlokas Tanoim concerning the form the Jewish people took in crossing the Yardin. There was one last phrase of the Gemara that's still related to the Tanaic source that we read. Regarding Yoshua and Kolev, why did they not carry anything? So, number one, One is it was, they were high stature. The Choshev means they were important. They were more important, let's say, greater stature than the rest of the uh, spies. And it's beneath their dignity to carry things. The other approach is like we suggested earlier, that Yoshua and Kolev, if they didn't want to participate in their Eitzel, in their scheme, the scheme of the uh, other ten uh, emissaries. Continuing in the Gemara, Pligi Bar Rabbi Ami These are two Amoraim. Chadamar one said, Ludivre Rabbi Yehuda, according to Rabbi Yehuda, that the water reached the height of twelve meal. We continue on the top of Omid Beis. They crossed the Jordan in their entire camp form, not in single file, but rather as they had traveled in the Midbar, and the Torah describes and specifies how they traveled in in the Midbar, but it was an encampment of people uh, measuring, as we said before, 12 by 12 meal, and they crossed, let's say, in form uh, across the river, and Ludivrei Reb Lezerberg Shimon, according to him, who said the water reached the height of 300 mil, they crossed in single file. So that's one Amoraic approach to the Machlokes Tanoim. V'chad Omar, here you see our second diamond, Bein Mor Ubein Mor Kechanosen Ovru. According to the second Amoraic opinion, even according to Reb Lezerberg Shimon, the which who said that the water reached a very great height. Nevertheless, the people crossed in in full camp form. They didn't cross in single file. Morsovar Odom Kal, Umosovar Mayim Kalim. The second uh, diamond, which says that both Tanoim held that they crossed in camp form. So you might ask, well, if they crossed in camp form, what was the need for the water to reach such a great height? So that's because he holds, in other words, Rebbe Lozer B'Shimon holds that Mayim Kalim, the water is very, very fast. So that even though the people constitute, relatively speaking, a small dimension, only 12 mil, since the water flow is so swift, once it reaches the height of, it, it, it would have to reach a height of 300 mil in order for the slow-moving people to get across measuring only 12 mil of 
of let's say people distance. The other opinion who says that all that was needed was for the water to reach twelve meal holds that man walks swiftly enough like water so that they could get they could all get across since they're moving in camp form and the water by reaching a height of twelve meal will be enough time for them for the people who are relatively speaking swift moving to get across. At this point the Gemara starts a sukya uh, that we we've termed Miraglim. The that's the we call it we have a general topic heading and it involves the spies and hence since we're calling it a general topic heading you realize this is a a, a, a heading to, that covers many other subtopics and uh, this discussion takes us till Daflamid Hay Omid Aleph the spies the Pesach says in Sefer Bamidbar at the beginning of Parshas Shlach it says Shlach Lecho Anashim the Parsha of Shlach opens with the sending of the 12 spies in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu by Moshe Rabbeinu to scout out the land uh, and this posik is some is a posik said by the Almighty Shlach Lecho Anashim Amar Eishlok Shlach Lecho Midaitcha send them but it's it's send them uh, on your own uh, volition Midaitcha Rashi adds I'm not commanding you to send them the uh, it's the Jewish people that that are insisting on their being sent, but I'm not commanding that. But I'm, on the other hand, I'm not going to stop you either, says the Almighty to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Gemara explains as far as why is it not a divine command? Why can't we understand this as God commanding thusly? So the Gemara explains he, it, it wouldn't be, it couldn't be that way. And we look in Rashi, Klum Yesh Adam. We don't have the word klum in our Gemara, but Rashi has that girsa. Klomar im hakodesh baruchut siva. If the Almighty would have been the one to command, klum hoya oimer lo lasas dovish shesofo lavo lidei takola. Would the Almighty have issued a command to do something whose result would be takola is a very big stumbling block, a very big let's say, a dismal failure with, with disastrous results, which is the case, which in fact is the case with regard to these Miraglim, the spies that were sent. So, since we know the outcome, you can rest assured that a person, that the Almighty wasn't the one that made this as a direct command. The Pesach goes on, v'hainu, the Gemara that is, goes on, and says, v'hainu be'enai hadavar. Moshe Rabbeinu says, it was in it, that this uh, matter of sending the spies appeared good in my eyes. In my eyes is a limitation. My eyes and not in the eyes of the Almighty. The Pesach says in Devorim, uh, Parakal of Pesach of Beis, where Moshe Rabbeinu is telling over, he's reviewing uh, the, the, his history with the Jewish people, and he can tells them uh, regarding this incident of the spies, V'yachperu lonu esoretz. The term V'yachperu esoretz loosely translated means they, will, they would be sent out to scout out the land. But the word V'yachperu is a, an unusual word, we'll say. Amar Barabo, Meraglim Kavnu, Yisrael. The spies 
intent was to insult the land of Israel. In other words, at the very beginning, that was their scheme. The Rashi, he has maybe a slightly different take on it. We translated the Gemara as it is. Rashi, Rashi says, Those that sought out this plan, it wasn't that these 12 men came up with the idea on their own, as we alluded to before. Rather, the people requested this to be done. And according to Rashi, the was uh, was the was on the mind of the people that sought out the sending of the spies, and how do we know that? in Yeshaya it says And by way of juxtaposition of, of terms, bosha is a well-known word meaning embarrassment, uh, insult, and hence chofra is also. Uh, taken to mean that. The Pesach in Yeshaya deals with the embarrassment of the uh, moon and the sun, but for our purposes, we've dashed underlined the key phrases. Notice the similarity, the same root in these two words. Hence, when you're dealing with the issue of the spies, where the Pesach says, it's a reference to seeking out the embarrassment of the land. Uh, on the side of our Gemara, we have a topic heading, which reads, Shmoisim Shal Meraglim Matzbim al Maasem, the names of the Miraglim, as is featured in the Torah, actually are descriptions of their ways. There's a concept that you see in the Gemara, it's uh, sourced in Maseches Brochus, it's called Shem Goreim, that the name, and that concept appears else, appears also in Maseches Chulin, that the, the name of a person actually says something about that individual's personality, that individual's uh, ways. So, uh, we continue now in the Gemara. This is back into Parsha's Shlach and Sefer Bamidbar. The Apostle lists off the names of the twelve spies. You know, him, we have a number one. A few lines later, Rabbi Yochanan adds to what Rabbi Yitzchak says here, and he, we call Rabbi Yochanan number two. So, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Dover Zem Asuras Biodenu Me'avosenu, the following is something we have as a Masoras, a tradition, from our forebearers. Meraglim al-Shem Asem Nikru'u. The names of the Meraglim that the Torah reports are actually uh, a description of their ways. V'onu lo olsa biodenu ela echad. And Rabbi Yitzhak says, we have deciphered only one of them. And the following is the scout that's sent representing the tribe of Osher. And it says in Pesach Yud Gimel, Sisur ben Michael. That's the name that's given. And the name means, Sosur equals, Shesosar Maisov Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Michael, Sheosa Atzmoi Moch. Let's take a look together at the Rashi. The Rashi you see in the upper part of the narrow lines. Sosar Dvorov, Hitchish Vioso, Sono Shalakodesh Borchu Badoi. Sosar is to contradict. He contradicted the Almighty's plan and, and made it such, presented it such as if 
the Almighty, Rashi, I believe, is presenting this in a in a euphemistic form, but you have to understand what he's saying. It's as if the Almighty is is a badoy, is uh, one that doesn't say the truth. So he was going to say a report that would reflect to the contrary of what the Almighty had in in, in mind. The next Rashi, Shasa Sainish Lakashbarhu Mach. Moch means cholosh, weak. Part of their report was that the inhabitants of land are kichazaku mimenu, it says, they're stronger than mimenu. Now the word mimenu is, uh, could mean, say, second person singular, I should say third person singular, uh, or mimenu. Um, let me correct myself. It's it's first person, stronger than us, uh, first person plural, or third person singular, him. Him, in this case, a reference, him spelled with a capital H, so that the report that they brought back, Sisur ben Michoel being one of them, was that the nations that inhabit the land are stronger than him with a capital H. And that, namely, that that he is moch is weak, and uh, we will not be able to conquer the land. Who was, who will help us? Omar Rabbi Yochanan Af Onu Nomar. We're continuing, as you can see in the Gemara, with a second name from Posuk Yudalid. This is the emissary from the tribe of Naphtali. His name was Nachbi ben Bo- ben Vofsi. Nachbi. What does that mean? Sheikh bi Dvorov Shel Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Vavsi shepisa al midoisov shel hakolish baruchu. And again, let's look at Rashi. Shechbi devarav. Shechbi is to hide something. Velo amoran kemoshen. He didn't say over as it actually was. Shepisa delayed, skipped over. Shelo amoran kasher heim. Same idea, reflected in his name and the father's name covering over, skipping over, not saying things as they actually were. On the side, we have a topic heading, the Nosei, Kolev, Hispalo B'moros HaMachpelu Linozel Mi'atza HaSamaraglim. Kolev went out of his way, literally, and reached the cave of Machpelu. That's the cave in which the Ovos were buried, Moros HaMachpelu, uh, where the uh, Avrom, Yitzhak, and Yankov, and wives were buried he prayed there hoping to receive divine assistance uh, in the merit of the of our forefathers and the, uh, the matriarchs and patriarchs that are buried there in their merit he should be able to exercise enough say self-restraint uh, self-control and not yield to the pressure of the other spies and their insidious plan. The Gemara. Vayalu Banegev, Vayavo Ad Chevron. This posik, if you note the way we've marked things, the word Vayalu is a verb form. We've highlighted the Vav at the end of the word that's in the plural form. And they, Vayalu Banegev, they arose from the south. And Vayavo is in the singular. So in the same posik, you have. <coughs> Two verbs, one in the plural and the second one in the singular. Vayavau mi If the basic is beginning in the in the in the plural form, that vayalu they arose. Vayavau it should have been 
in the plural form they arrived at Hebron, but it doesn't say that. Omar Rava, Malamed, this change in grammar, grammatical form, teaches us Shapiresh Kolev, Matas Maraglim, Kolev separate himself from the from their scheme. al He went and prostrated himself on our forebearer's grave. Omar Lohen, Kolev said to the Ovos, Avoisai, Bakshu Alai Rachamim, Sheenotzel Meatsas Miraglim. Pray on my behalf that I should be spared, I should be saved from the scheme of the spies. You see here a number of interesting and profound ideas. First and foremost, of course, is the strength of social pressure. I would go out on a limb and say social pressure is so great that a person uh, on his own probably would have no chance in withstanding it. One needs divine intervention in order to resist the social pressure. In other words, you can a person can be well aware of uh, what's right and what is wrong. And nevertheless, in the context of social pressure, who are pursuing a, a, uh, an evil, a negative path, one will end up uh, falling to that pressure unless he has some supernatural intervention and in order to arouse that, prayer is needed. And notice the, the, uh, the concept or the practice of going to uh, graves and praying there, of course, here is a primary source for that, but no one should ever make the, the hideous error of thinking that one is praying to the dead. What you see here is a request of, uh, of the spirits of those that are no longer with us to assist in prayer, to pray on one's behalf, but the ultimate address of prayers is the one and only address, namely the Almighty. And uh, one should never make the mistake to think anything else. So, that's as far as Kolev is concerned. Yehoshua, we don't see him going to pray. Kvar Bikesh Moshe Olov Rachamim. Moshe Rabbeinu already prayed for the benefit of Yoshua, Shenemar Vayikra Moshe Lehoshea Benun Yoshua. The Yoshua's official name, his real name, or his birth name was Hoshea. The uh, we see in the pasuk that Moshe Rabbeinu refers to him as Yoshua, adding a yud to his name. The yud is a letter that's associated with the Almighty. Ko Yoshiacha. Me'atzas Miraglim. Ka is the name of the Almighty, one of his many different uh, names. Let him save you, uh, protect you, save you from the uh, evil counsel of the spies. Bahainu dichtiv v'avdi kolev ekev hoisa ruach acheres imo v'chulei. We take a look at Rashi. The Rashi that we're looking at is in the uh, say upper third of the page. 
ואבי יוסף אל הארץ אשר בו שמה והיא חברון כדכתי וייתן אס חברון לקולב מאמינו קולב הוא דאוזיל לחברון from this פוסק you can see that קולב is the one that went to חברון we now turn back to the גמורה the פוסק in במדבר פרק יוד גמור פוסק חוף בייז we have included it on the side of the Gemara, and let's read it together. Vayalu Banegev, Vayavoy Ad Chevron. We already darshan that. Uh, the uh, people, the spies, uh, entered the land from the south, and uh, we said Kolev reached Chevron. Vishom, there in Chevron, Shom Achiman Sheishai Vetamai, Yelidei Hoanok, Vechevron Sheva Shonim Nivnesa Lifnei Tsoan Mitzrayim. In Hebron, there were uh, the children of the giant. Their names were Achimon, Shesha, and Tamai. And the Pesach says that Hebron was seven years built before Tzohan Mitzrayim. That's a literal translation. The Gemara is going to question that uh, as the real meaning of the Pesach. So now we continue in the Gemara text. In Pesach Chofbeis, it says, V'shom Achimon, Shesha, V'tamai, V'chulei. There are two um, approaches to the names. The first approach is, a, we'll say, darshaning the names, explaining uh, about these, um, these giants. These the giants were children of a giant. They uh, had names that describe them. And then the second approach is a dover achir. You can see a few lines later, which is not a description of them, but rather what they built. So the first approach, and uh, it says, "Achiman miyumon she ve'echov." He was the miyumon. Yumon is a word meaning the choicest, the best, the strongest of his brothers. Sheshai, and that you can see by the way in the word achiman, you see the word ach, or reference to brothers, and the yud mem nun ending, having to do with yamin or miyuman, the choicest one. Sheshai, that name, Shemesim es Haoretz Keshchisos He was so big, so large that as he walked along he would make it would appear as craters uh, in the ground The Rashi says Shemesim es Haoretz Keshchisos Rashi has a, a Yud in the word hence the pronunciation of Shchisos Shemokim Raglov Mamik Boretz Mirov Kovdo His foot would actually uh, sink into the ground, creating a depression in the ground because of his immense weight. The nicker shom keguma ukeshachas, and after he passed that place, as he would walk along, there would remain a type of depression, a, uh, a crater in the ground. The Rashi adds that the loshon sheishai lo pura shlonu mai domi lishchisus, the nira loshon amude sheish sheim kevedim umokum amodam nicker. The word itself, Sheshai, Rashi says, I don't see a connection between that and the word Shchosos, or Shachas. So he suggests that Sheshai is a word reflecting marble pillars. And marble pillars have great weight. And if you were to remove a marble pillar from where it was standing, it would leave a depression in the ground. Hence, the description of the Gemara, Kishchosos. Continuing in the Gemara, Talmai. Shemesim esoretz tlomim tlomim. Here it's in the name. He would 
uh, after walking, he would leave what would appear as furrows in the ground. is a furrow after a plow plows an area, so the plow blade digs down into the ground and kicking up uh, earth on either side of a ditch that's made. So too, as he would walk along, that's what would happen to the ground underfoot. Another approach, Achiman bona anas, Sheshai bona alash, Tamai bona talbush. These are three different uh, places that each one of these uh, individuals built up. Yelidei ho'anok. This too is from the Posuk. Shemanikim chamo bekoimosam. Rashi explains, Shoyemanikim as a chamo bekoimosam, Merov goiva koimosam, because of their incredible height, you, a, a person of average, of normal height, would look up into the, into the sky, looking to where this giant head was, and it would appear, It would create an impression that you would only see the outer perimeter of the sun, giving the impression that the, the sun was a type of necklace around their necks. They were basically, their heads were eclipsing the body of the sun, leaving only, the, we'll say, the corona of the sun still visible. The word anak, manikim, has to do with a necklace, so that the, all that you saw of the sun was the outer perimeter, giving this necklace impression. Uh, I should say outer circumference. The uh, Pesach says, V'chevron sheva shonem nivnesa, we read that also before. My Nivnesa. What does it mean that Hebron was something seven years built up? Um, in order to figure this out, we go through a couple stages. And on the side of the Gemara, uh, we have under our Mivne heading, this double underline highlights the words Ilema Ela. Shlavim Babiur Haposuk Vechevron Sheva Shanim Nivnesa Lifnetzon Mitzrayim. So let's go through the, the stages. Number The first stage, Ilema Nivnesa Mamish, if you're going to read the Pulsic literally. And the literal reading would be that Hebron was built seven years before Tzoan Mitzrayim. Tzoan being a place in Mitzrayim. Well, could that be? Would a person build a house for his younger son before he builds a house for his older son? And what's the reference to older and younger over here? You'll see that immediately. Dechtiv, Uvnei Chom, the sons of Chom. Chom was one of the three sons of Noach. Well, the children of Chom, because Noach's grandchildren, their names were Kush, Umitzrayim, Ufut, Uknan. Now, in the order, you notice, Mitzrayim precedes Canaan. Hebron was in Canaan. Tzoan was in Mitzrayim. So, as far as the chronological order is concerned, Mitzrayim comes before Canaan, so that any reference to uh, uh, something being built up, it would obviously, Mitzrayim would precede uh, that which was in Canaan. Hence, you can't say that Hebron was built up, Hebron representing Canaan, it was in the land of Canaan, being built up before Mitzrayim. Elo, so here's the answer. Note, we have a long answer marking. Elo, Shehoise Mivuna. Al echod mishiva b'tzoan. It was seven times better quality. Mevune um, has to has to do with something that's built up uh, in terms of uh, size and um, and quality. 
So seven, it was seven times better than Tzohan, which was in Mitzrayim. The Ein Lecha, now what we're going on uh, in this Gemara, we had a the topic heading we should have read a little earlier, B'Shvacha Shel Eretz Yisrael. You'll see how we're going to, we're going to uh, describe in very, praise, in very let's say, uh, complimentary ways, praiseworthy fashion, the quality of the land of Israel. The Gemara will tell us, before we, we read the text, the Gemara will tell us that uh, Hebron, relative to the rest of the land of Israel, was the poorest land, let's say, uh, land quality-wise. There, we, everyone, I'm sure, is aware of the fact that there are certain qualities of earth that are more fertile than others. Hebron was the least fertile of the lands in Israel, in Canaan. And even so, the Gemara will describe that Hebron, the poorest part of Israel, was seven times better than the best land in Mitzrayim, which was said to be the most fertile area of the world at that time. So the Gemara says, Hebron was seven times better than Tzohan. Troshim has to do with rocks and boulders. There's no more, we'll say, desolate area in Eretz Yisrael more than Hebron. The Kavri Bo Shichvi, it's a place that was known for its cemetery. Shichvi means the dead, that the dead were buried there. If it you can you can surmise from here that even though we associate Hebron with the Moras and Machpelah, the, the place where the uh, uh, our forefathers were buried, it was it was a choice place for burial because well, what else would you do over there, so to speak? And there was no more fertile area, more desirable area amongst nations more than Mitzrayim. Shenemar. The land of Israel is described as the Garden of the Almighty. So it's a very desirable, fertile area. And of all of Eretz Mitzrayim, which was said to be fertile, the best of Eretz Mitzrayim was Tzohan. In Tzohan were the ministers. You can imagine the ministers would occupy the choicest land. Echod, Mishiva, Bitsoan. And even so, Hebron was seven times better than the best place in Mitzrayim, the best place in the world. The Gemara asks, the Hebron Troshim Havu, and I hope it's clear before we go further, I should say, that what, what was the purpose of this last discussion? The purpose was to explain the Posik that said, Hebron Sheva Shanim. Nivnesa, where it said it was Nivnesa Lifnei Tzah Mitzrayim. It was built up quality-wise, going way ahead of Tzohan of Mitzrayim, but not chronologically. Here the Gemara asks, is all of this really so? Hevron was, was it really a, a rocky, uh, coarse terrain? It says, uh, the Posuk here it makes reference to uh, the son of Dovid Amelch, Avshalom, who uh, went to Hebron 
to uh, bring forth a sheep that would uh, that grazed there and from the question we're going to see that Hebron was actually a very desirable area for sheep grazing and that would seem to indicate that it's not a it's not simply a, some type of rocky lunar type surface the question in the Gemara: The Chevron Troshim Havi, where Chevron was rocky. Vaoksiv, Vayimi Ketzar Boim Shana Vayomer Av Shalom Ela Melech El Chonav Vechulei. And in order to appreciate the pasuk in its, you'd have to really look at it in its context. The Omar of Avio Vitemo Rabo Bar Bar Chanon. The pasuk that we just read mentioned that Av Shalom said to the king, said to David, King David, I'm going to go. To, I'm going to go. And Rav Avia says, He went to bring sheep from Hebron. Vitanya Elim Mimov, rams one would bring from Moav. If one seeking animals for sacrificial purposes, the best quality rams are found in Moav. And Kvosimei Hebron, we've dashed underlined that. That's the main point. Kvosimei Hebron. So Hebron was a place that people would raise sheep. Sheep need uh, grazing lands. So how can you describe it as? Trushim, the Gemara answers, Minah, from that very point, from the very point that Tvosim were brought from Hebron, Aidi the Klisha Ara Avdo Raya. Since it's a weak, weak land, it's not fertile, it's not land that produces uh, vegetation, but rather, what we'll say, wild grasses and thorns, that type of thing grows there. And that is actually the desirable land for grazing. That's Vishomain Kinyona. Rashi says, Vishomain Kinyona, Hamikne Hatson, the Kinyona is a reference to the, the term Mikne. You find the word Mikne in the Chumash as a term associated with flocks of sheep and goats. So it's rich for the, the fact that it's rocky and not fertile actually produces that type of, uh, let's say, pasture land or grazing land. Uh, the growth that develops there is more suitable for the raising of sheep than, uh, than, 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 gr- than ground that would be more fertile. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.